Uh, hi everyone uh, welcome to the india independent films podcast this is a podcast where we writers and critics discuss uh, and talk about films and also about general topics my name is pankaj sasteva i write on my blog called dichotomy of irony and also contribute to the articles uh, on the if website uh, i have with me again rahul desai who as we know is a writer and critic who writes about films and uh, a range of other topics as well uh, rahul and i have been speaking about you know uh, uh, film writing so i thought today we'll continue on some of those aspects but focusing on um, something related to sound but before we go there uh, rahul i'd like to ask you about um, how was your sundance uh, film festival coverage experience and i know you wrote about many films so how was it yeah um thanks for asking that and yeah i'm glad to be here i like this uh, monthly routine of ours where we get to talk about writing because uh, i spend the rest of the month writing so much that i have absolutely no time to think in between uh, so about sundance uh, this was my fourth year covering it second year virtually obviously they it had gone entirely virtual this time uh, and i doubt i'll be able to go there again if i ever get an opportunity because i think uh, uh, twice i uh, i qualified on the press inclusion initiative where they give you a stipend to attend the festival i think i'm too old for that now and they figured that out so now uh, uh, I, i but luckily i got a, a good all access pass so what made it easier this time to cover it was that they had the library section so i didn't have to uh, sort of operate on american time like you usually have to to watch the premieres within 5 hours Uh, i didn't have to operate on american time there was a library section and every film that played every day was available for everyone to watch at any point uh, during the festival in the library section so that made it very relaxed for me uh, i in fact ended up writing lesser than i usually do for sundance because 6 uh, days into sundance i got covid so i had to take a uh, I, i had to end my festival slightly earlier but i kept watching films uh, i really enjoyed writing about films on my own time this time uh, I, i ended up watching a lot of documentaries that uh, may not be available for a long time like i uh, for example one of my most memorable experiences of this festival was actually spending uh, um, 4 hours watching the bill cosby documentary and mm. i i think it'll be released part by part on some platform soon uh but i never thought i had it in me first of all to watch like four or five hours right. at a stretch while and that too you know with covid and all but it was just so engrossing and engaging most of us have grown up with you know watching his shows and also i was very curious about it uh, i ended up watching a lot of documentaries this time as usual because sundance if there's one thing it's known for is its documentaries uh, i uh, i uh, wrote i watched all that breed shonex and all that breed which uh, was the only indian film Uh, at sundance is and it created history you know by winning right. the main documentary prize and uh, as soon as i watched it um, you know on the first day or before the festival i realized that this is the kind of documentary that may take the top prize because sundance i mean their documentary section is very strong usually the world cinema section uh, but they have a certain kind of documentary that they always uh, go for it was flee last year the animated documentary flee Uh, so i had a feeling it was so artful and so beautifully made and it made such a uh, uh, you know it made such a sort of deafening it had such a deafening silence about it that i had a feeling that it would 
do very well at Sundance this year, and I'm glad it happened because I was very excited when it won the prize because it felt personal for a lot of us who were covering it uh, earlier in the festival. So yeah, all in all, I I wish you know I was well enough to sort of last the ten days of Sundance, but you know the six or seven days that I did manage to uh, write about uh, uh, the, the films, I really enjoyed it. I there's also one documentary I must mention before we go forward, and I don't know if it'll be available. uh anytime soon uh, it's an american documentary called uh, um, last flight home okay so two years ago dick johnson is dead released also in sundance it came on netflix eventually we i think some of us watched it wrote about it uh, for me this this documentary was one of the most emotional experiences i've ever had while watching a film and like i'm talking my entire adult life uh, i i i i remember not being able to breathe at, at least an hour into it it deals with like some very uh, it's basically about uh, uh, it's about the filmmaker uh, is a woman who's filming her father in his last days of living because he opts for mercy killing uh, he opts for euthanasia and he has had enough of suffering he's been paralyzed for the last 30 years and uh, you know he's decided to go with the change of law that is uh, available in that certain part of america and he opts for uh, so this is basically the filmmaker filming her father throughout the last 15 days of his life and i cannot even begin to describe uh, how difficult and how cathartic it was to watch it at the same time because most of us have aging parents right now uh, most of us have seen our grandparents suffer also in their own time so Uh, uh for me there were a lot of emotions come into the foreground it was such a good documentary that i could not write about it it's one of those things that you you decide to write on your own time maybe later if it ever releases on a platform i thought it i can't do justice to it during the festival you know it'll get lost in the festival coverage so it's the it's the kind of piece i'm i'm sort of preserving for the future uh, and we all have that one film when we watch it we we think that this this will uh this will change a part of us when we write about it so i'm preserving it till later so for those who are hearing this podcast do ever if you ever come across this documentary uh, uh last flight home do not miss it um, you know under any circumstances that's great so uh, like how do you decide you know like which films to watch and which films to not watch like you know there's a list yeah. li- library you mentioned so even like sundance or any other festival mm. do you prior research like you know how will you cover yeah. that that's the stressful part of the festival because i think uh, the three or four days leading up to a festival uh, that's when you start your very basic research you know you go through all the indie wire lists you go through the, all the american lists that uh, uh, festival veterans who've been attending it for 30 years they always have an idea of what uh, might do well at the festival or what the big titles are so you know first and foremost i always try to just choose the big titles and then see if it can fit into my schedule uh, and i make a very vague list but mostly i'll be honest during the festival it's on a whim you know i go on basis of a synopsis like the you know these festivals do a very good job of writing the synopsis in fact i was telling someone this time that the sundance synopsis are better than most film reviews of the films because they are mostly programmers writing these synopsis and these programmers are very very good writers so when i read that synopsis in my it's a bitter sweet experience because i'm cursing in my head saying oh god they mentioned all the points i wanted to write about you know uh, uh, but you have to refer to that synopsis if you want to watch a film or write about the film because there's a lot of important information there i mostly go on a whim according to what i find might sound appealing in the moment like i watched another princess diana documentary this time called princess and after all this surge of 
you know diana right. uh, films in the last 3 or 4 years you think we'd get tired of it but i'm very glad i went with it this time because even in the synopsis it was written this is unlike any other uh, you know diana documentary you've seen before and i was like there is no other angle left so this will be very interesting and i'm glad i watched it because it was entirely archival footage there was no voice over it was basically living in the 90s and you know sort of tracing her life through the coverage of her through the paparazzi through the media uh, through the media commentary so it was you know it, it's one of those things i'm glad i made a choice of so it's entirely instinctive if you cover i think if you attend a few festivals and you get an idea of uh, how to go about it like even mami when we attend in bombay uh, uh, we realize that some films catch fire during the festival and you try to slip it in towards the end of the festival but as far as coverage is concerned you have to you have to be very very satisfied with you know your choices beginning because there you have to make peace with the fact that you're going to miss some big titles whether you like it or not and i always end up trying to write about non fiction more than fiction in most of my coverage because that is the one genre we do not get to watch enough in india you know the, the maximum we can watch are the netflix documentaries that drop and they are they've already sort of you know done the festival rounds most of the time so i always try to do that because i always get a uh, uh, you know i i always have a feeling that you know i have a personal investment in the non fiction section of any uh, festival one of my last pieces in sundance this year was writing about the um, russian documentary made by an american called navalny right. uh, basically about an anti putin uh, politician who has been imprisoned for the last few years uh, he was almost poisoned by putin so it was an it was an entirely different experience because that documentary was the surprise screening at sundance this year they always do one every year uh normally i have not had a good experience with surprise surprise screenings because they've never turned out to be good but this time this particular documentary won the audience award and i ended i want i did not plan to watch it but i watched it as soon as it dropped as a surprise screening because i am very uh, you know i'm very fascinated by uh, the russia that i'm never going to probably visit so i was very fascinated by what an anti establishment documentary would look like in that country because you know god knows we need enough of them here too Uh, and all that breeds was in a way an anti-establishment documentary. So I'm glad I watched it, and then I instinctively wrote about it. Even though I had plans to write about another couple of films, I ditched those plans and wrote about this documentary, and it was very fulfilling. So you know, you have to basically be open-minded during coverage, and uh, there is no set plan. Of course, I make it a point to write about the Indian titles that are playing because you know, as we know, not a lot of Indian titles play at world festivals. So we, for coverage sake, we need to do it. So. uh but you know this time it didn't feel like i was writing about an indian documentary all that breeze was truly uh, a world class sort of title so it felt like you know i was writing about international competition in a way so yeah all in all i learned a lot again uh, while covering sundance it's the only festival i truly cover one world festival i try to cover in a year and i'm glad i've gotten the privilege to do it over the last few years uh, over the last few years so as long as it's virtual i might just get a chance to keep covering it Right, right. I mean, I was surprised to learn, like, like that all that breeze that Shonak Sen, he's Raja Sen's brother. <laughs> I had no oh, idea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Same here. Uh, like, it's such a coincidence. Like, and then I know you mentioned this in this review, so I haven't watched it, of course. But the subject is, you know, about two brothers who are into like saving kites. But you mentioned, yes. like, you know, I was instantly reminded of that Ivale U, which you yeah. mentioned yeah. in your review. So, um, how did you like think of uh, the film? Uh, all that breeds, as like, I, I'm I'm so fascinated by filmmakers. You know how they can just con 
come up with these ideas like langurs to con- yeah to connect with like government in delhi and like even the kite saving of all birds kites <laughs> exactly so, so amazing so how how did you take that film i mean you know one of my main you know like while watching all that bits i was absolutely stunned by how a film how a documentary filmmaker can make a movie about uh, technically it's about delhi pollution about you know about the waste in a city about how a city is uh, sort of uh, ecologically decomposing in a way how you know you can make a film like that look so good and look so artful like i cannot imagine the amount of effort and the amount of patience it took to capture certain uh, to capture certain spaces to capture certain shots like the film opens with a shot of uh, you know a, a sort of camera just very like almost like a horror film shot like just uh, 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 sort of floating through a garbage yard in delhi and you know uh, settling on a bunch of rats that are feeding on the garbage and it's shot like a you know it's shot like a suspense uh, sort of fiction documentary and that was the first thing that stands out to you while watching all that bit the the filming style is very fiction like that's why it got to got uh, uh, it reminded me of ebaleu because ebaleu was shot like a documentary so at some point these two met in my head because they were more or less saying the same thing about the same city in the same country but in very very different ways one did not want to look like a film and one wanted to look like a fictional film and uh, they were totally different genres so i i thought that all that breeds is easily one of the best or one of the most uh, one of the most layered and thoughtful documentaries i have seen for people who look for metaphors inside uh, through visuals inside a film like for, i i even thought of you while watching the film because you would have a field day with a lot of with a lot of subtext uh, and a lot of even references mm. to Uh, you know previous documentaries or even uh, a lot of defer- references to real life and politics so i just felt it was one of those films that has something for everyone and it I, I, and i actually got to watch it twice because i was programming uh, I, i did a work in progress i watched a work in progress cut for programming for mami uh, uh, last year and i then watched the final cut at sundance so uh, you know for me it was one of the most rewarding uh, experiences as far as non fiction documentaries are concerned and you know i i did see shonak sen's uh, uh, previous documentary uh, w- which had to do uh, uh, with homeless shelters in delhi back in mami uh, in 2015 or 16 and i remember i sat through that screening even though the screening kept getting cancelled 15 minutes into it there were some technical problems but i actually sat through it for the next 3 hours hoping that it would keep going because he is the kind of filmmaker that compels you to sort of uh, uh, you know sort of forget about the rest of your day forget about what you're covering you know out and uh, uh, either beyond his film and just concentrate on his film so i really hope that you know one of my main gripes over the last few years is all these great documentaries that we've been watching at festivals and even you know uday bhatia mentioned it in on one of in his review of all that bit uh, even writing with fire for example that was another terrific documentary mm-hmm. that came out last year they we are not like the general audiences are not getting to watch them yeah. apart from the festival people who are covering the festival they are not uh, streaming on any platforms because of obvious uh, uh, you know censorship reasons the filmmakers are little scared of how it will be received in their own country which is a bit ironic because the documentaries are made to speak about uh, to speak to certain power and speak about certain uh, uh, problems that are going on in this country so you know it's disappointing that a lot of these some of our greatest documentaries getting lost and a lot of people abroad are getting to watch it uh, uh, and 
to see what is going on in our country but we ourselves are not aware uh, uh, of how our filmmakers are interpreting the current political and cultural situation in india and you know it, it's a little disappointing i hope that all that beats do not follow in, in the footsteps of file kapadia's uh, uh, you know latest documentary that played at cans and as well as writing with fire because the filmmakers have been very about screening at the screening them here so i hope that all that beats finds its way somehow to some uh, uh, platform because it is one of the most uh, subtle and and sort of very profoundly uh, uh, underplayed documentaries i've seen in recent memory so i i do hope we get to even discuss that documentary at some point separately got it and how does this last question on this uh, festival thing how does this library thing work do you get a password <laughs> to watch it like uh, yeah, like so... vimeo password that sort of a thing right no so so with with sundance which has done a very good job uh, sort of going virtual sundance mm. basically they've taken the entire festival online so you have your own account so once you sign mm. into your account with a username and password as a journalist uh, then depending on the level of pass you have uh, like either you have a regular pass or an all access pass then depending on that your library so those who have all access passes have a library section uh, which allows them to access all the films that premiered the previous day so they all accumulate over the seven or eight days and the library section becomes bigger and bigger so you know you have the freedom to watch it any time during the festival like uh, so i i watched a lot of films uh, like three or four days after they premiered so for people like us or indian journalists who are not uh, strapped by time like a lot of american critics have to review it as soon as it drops you know as, a, as soon as it premieres because it's these festivals are bigger than in america than in any other place so for people like me who can take the time with coverage we take our time and watch the uh, films in the library section and but once you do start uh, once you do click on the film uh, in the section you have to finish it within 5 hours uh, so you know you have to basically give it uh, that amount of time but yeah from they have made a massive improvement from last year when they first time went virtual Uh, uh and uh, you know i think the library section was put after a lot of feedback from a lot of journalists from other parts of the globe who were having problems with the time difference so i'm very glad for it and uh, you know I'm, it it really improved my the my perspective of you know how to view films at a festival right right got it but unfortunately mami has been cancelled i read yesterday yeah uh, i year. know but uh, i yeah. will hopefully have something by the end of the year Yeah. Okay. All right. Now let's move on to you know something. Um, this is an aspect of films. You know, we all notice it when it's. I feel it's bad, but when it's mm. good, we sometimes you know not really notice it as much. So you know, it's mm. something about the sound or the sound design. So you know, when you watch a film, how do you perceive sound in a film, or you know, what do you look for sound in a film? Uh, mm. so as you said it's one of those invisible crafts right getting yeah. sound for me are more like cinematography is more visual so you know right. you immediately notice when the cinematographer is doing something uh, but sound it's one of those things where if you don't end up mentioning the sound design in a lot of reviews like a lot of people do that that means it's fundamentally correct it's something basically not interrupted your experience Uh, a very visceral experience of a film but there are uh, having said there are exceptions when you immediately notice that the sound is adding to the narrative of a film for uh, i think a recent that comes to mind is sadar udham you know this 
the thing is while watching the film you don't really notice uh, how uh, the sound is sort of uh, you know edited and composed and of uh, designed throughout so uh, you can by the cinematography so by how you pick and look technically how a biopic looks so different uh, by the end of the film, uh, your one that writing about you know once you start doing certain aspects uh, uh, sound exists is something uh, that is um you, uh, oh okay uh how can you hear me now Okay, I was not able to hear you for one minute. Can you go again? The last one minute. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So you can hear me now, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I was speaking about uh, Sardar Udham as a Hindi film. That is a great example of invisible and visible sound design at the same time because uh, uh, I ended up while I was writing about the film, I ended up reflecting on how the sound was used to. uh as an aspect of writing uh, you know for me it was part of the screenplay in the film because it sort of helped us understand uh how the character how um, the sort of narrative uh, is viewed through the perspective of a character because it was as we know it was a nonlinear narrative and it sort of ended with the beginning so to say so uh, so for me uh, the sound played a very important role in our understanding of why the character is so psychologically uh, uh, so psychologically sort of uh, uh, you know prone to having a film uh, uh, that is going to tell his story in a certain way and and it really uh, it's not i'm not talking about only the sound in the jallianwala bag sequence right. the massacre in the towards the end i'm talking through the film because if you notice uh, uh, along with the cinematography along with the very subtle sort of uses of music through the film uh, I, i felt like the sound was telling its own story it was telling uh, uh, the own uh, its own mental portrait of uh, of uh, you know udham singh and it it sort of uh, really got me into the atmosphere of how it would be to be a lone wolf Uh, uh across a decade across 15 years and still having a single minded pursuit of a certain uh, thing you want to do and it it really added so many layers uh, uh, in its understanding because for example the way he talks in sort of broken english uh, I, you know uh, towards the sort of while he's up, uh, you know trying to go about his mission uh, if you notice there are very subtle nuances in the way uh, the dialogues are designed or the sound of the dialogues are designed Uh, in those section compared to how they are a little bit amplified towards the end of the film when action takes over uh, uh, in the film and i i feel like sujit sarkar is a master of you know all round craft in that sense like uh, he did it very well in october you know you could hear the silence of uh, uh, delhi the, the seasons in delhi across that film uh, he did it very well uh, in uh, gulabo sitabo even for lucknow you know it had a very different kind of indian sound to it and i'm i'm not talking about the way the dialogues were mixed with the music i'm talking about the place itself and i thought sardar udham uh, to, you know gave us uh, an idea of a sound of the 1930s and 1920s and it did it very well because none of us would know how india sounded like then but i, I felt like it did a very uh, a very good uh, job of sort of really mixing the foley sound and the rest of the 
uh, and the rest of the dimensions of how a particular place sounded. So uh, yeah, for me, uh, sound design is not something that immediately jumps out to you. Uh, but you know, you learn a lot if you start noticing, mm-hmm. if you start looking out for uh, sound in certain films. Uh, you know, again, another web series that it did very well was Mumbai Diaries uh, 2611 because again, it, it there was so much action in that film. You know, there's a terrorist attack th- across the film. Uh, uh, there's but the, it sounded like a hospital. If you've been to a few hospitals uh, in your lifetime for whatever reason, you will. For example, sm- films can't make you smell a certain place mm-hmm. but the sound yeah. can come the closest to making you smell and making you uh, feel the heaviness or feel the lightness of a certain place for me that's not cinematography that does the job it's the sound it's the echoes in the background it's the it's the way people speak in a hospital or in a uh, you know way a surgeon speaks to the patient and the way the sound is designed overall if you hear the construction outside because bombay as we know is you know uh, perpetually under construction especially that part of bombay and in uh, 2611 you can always hear some kind of construction going on so i think that you know these things you pick up on if you if you watch enough uh, shows that are very uh, fundamentally sound as you know far uh, as their craft goes are there any uh, for you are there any examples because i've noticed you do uh, uh, write a, a little about you know these aspects in your uh, in your blog post so uh, are there any is there anything that uh, stood out to you recently as far as what your understanding of sound design is concerned you know you asked it because i asked this because i struggle this with a lot i write more on the visual aspects <laughs> of the film because you know cinematography is something i can yeah. connect with but uh, this sound design is something i always struggle with i so i remember like 2 3 years ago somebody asked me you know one of just a normal song that you remember and i spoke about the visuals and that person mm. was like oh you're talking about visuals but i'm talking about the sound <laughs> so and then right. i started wondering like you know uh, because uh, i haven't like you know i struggle with this you know like uh, i know background score i can find easily but this sound mm. you know of course sound is background score is also part of sound but it's something mm. i have never uh, like really consciously noticed but in terms of background score uh, i have a few uh, that i recall you know like i love the background score of lux that whole entire yeah. that uh, wall scaling se- sequence it oh, that was terrific uh, yeah. yeah so you know those like the major major ones i can recall but it's very hard for me to you know just actually like that's why i asked this question to as mm. sort of a learning thing as well that you know how the sound uh, come into picture because you have to consciously sometimes look for these uh, things so i did mm. not notice this in sardar udham to be honest like mm. i saw in that jallianwala bag but the initial bit that you spoke about right so that was something uh, i did not uh, actually notice it so it was uh, nice mm. okay so just continuing to that but you know like uh, you'd mentioned like in one of the or uh, i had wanted to ask this for some long time and this mm. is in context with that uh, first man when uh, you written something about you know that academy logic is that music film is equal to best sound and this yeah. was something related to how bohemian rhapsody won all the sound mixing and sound editing awards over something yeah, like yeah. first man mm. So uh, again, would you like to have some elaborate on this aspect? Yeah. So basically, I mean, we've noticed throughout, you know, awards history and especially the Academy and all. Normally, sound editing and sound mixing, uh, even though they are two def- 
you know separate crafts they have to be two separate crafts because there are two separate categories also uh, 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 normally the same film tends to get it you know and these yeah. films are always these these films are always the louder action films that will not be nominated for anything else or they are the more uh, um, you know sort of very lavish highly scaled films uh, most of the time and i and i do and it's either either that or it's the music biopics as i mentioned bohemian rhapsody of course controversial choice to win a lot of awards that year uh, but you know in my uh, and that really pissed me off that year because first man had some of the best uh, sound mixing i have ever heard uh, you know in my lifetime and this is taking into consideration how the dark knight did it like mm-hmm. a good 10 or 11 years ago and change the way a superhero film should sound forget how it should look or how it should be written or be acted the it changed the way the superhero film can sound and uh, you know and in terms of in terms of space films or in terms of biopics of astronauts or 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 biopics of certain uh, uh, you know historical figures for me first man was had done such a fantastic job and again you know when you speak of background score and how some background scores comes to your mind instantly um the personal life of neil armstrong in that film had a totally different sound as compared to his professional life and as compared to his grief that he uh, uh, gently feels throughout that film you know that film starts with him in uh, <clears throat> uh, testing a plane and he almost reaches outer space and almost dies you know and that is some of the best examples of sound design i have seen it wasn't like gravity that was entirely based in outer space where you can actually notice the sound design because you know there is no sound in space so right. that immediately stands out and the way alfonso curon went about designing a sound with his designers was a you know was for me that was another film on its own to see the making of gravity but first man did it in such a way that you know uh, it it was very human in that sense because we are actually talking about a father who's grieving a daughter throughout the film and his professional uh, achievements and his ambition to reach the moon is entirely an extension of uh, of the emotions that he's feeling at the loss of his daughter that happens at the beginning of the film so i feel like the sound told such a beautiful story Uh, the background score the way it was mixed into certain quiet scenes the way it was used for montages uh, normally we have montages of in biopics as you would notice they are training montages right those are very famous but the training montages in first man had a very personal uh, background score to it it had uh, the first man theme that became bigger and bigger and bigger as the film went on it got more amplified first it was only the guitar playing or strings playing and by the end we had the whole orchestra playing that same theme towards the end of the film so i thought there was so much thought put into it and of course this came from uh, 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 from the way uh, the director used sound in whiplash or in la la land because i don't think there is a better use of and he is so fascinated by music you know he's a big jazz aficionado and we saw that in whiplash we saw that in la la land so i felt like in a very strange way first man was also a music film it was a musical in a very different sense mm-hmm. but it was a musical of humanity it was a musical of a of a very it was a very personal uh, uh, film on that scale and um, uh, there was no better use of uh, you know sound as far as a conventional drama was concerned and it was used in a language of a musical and that's that's why i felt the academy missed a trick or two by first of all not even nominating the background score and secondly uh, giving all the sound awards to you know why because it is uh, about freddy mercury so of course the stage sequences and of course the concerts are mixed in a certain way which is very easy to see but you know if you really had a true understanding of sound design i'd love to know the way 
the academy judges the sound design because i'm sure there are a lot of uh, colleagues and filmmakers who judge them on this there are a lot of sound designers who come into play here also part of the academy and uh, you know it just i feel like always it's just they take the easy way out and sort of award the same film both times it's mostly marvel films or historical films or or musical biopics and they they overlook the more uh, the more subtle uses of sound uh, uh, as a result of that right in fact like you know you already mentioned it but i was uh, trying to research i always got confused between what's sound mixing and sound editing but starting yeah. last year i think the academy has decided that they will just give only one award which is uh, best sound so yeah. which is uh, at least okay so it's at least understandable because i read a few articles but i never got the full difference between sound mixing and sound editing but okay all right now you know my next question again seeks to the background score uh, one thing i've seen in your reviews is that you do mention the background score a lot which is a good thing yeah. so you know is there anything um, particular that you consider as a good score i have three four examples from your reviews but i would like mm. to hear them before i just go through those lines what we have written about them so i am a big sucker for background score as right. most hindi film you know uh, enthusiasts are over the years uh, my, but my understanding of background score has changed since i've become a film critic because <clears throat> of course it's entirely instinctive and for me you know background score is the kind of thing that can immediately turn my opinion off a film like i'm i'm that easy to please when it comes to a background score like if a film that is super flawed has a good background score either in the end sequence or through if it has a certain theme that you know sort of really tugs at my heartstrings through the film i instantly fall for the film it's not the cinematography it's not the performances the background score is my weakness so my objectivity is tested at that point of course i can never no critic can be fully objective but that is when i get swayed uh, you know uh, i can get swayed in a moment like uh, i can give you a recent example uh, haseen dilraba was a classic example of that because uh, the the way the background score the theme was used uh, throughout the film and then in the last scene which was of course uh, for me my entire perception of the film somehow changed in that last scene when i heard the background score being played and the slow motion being used in a very pulpy manner i really liked uh, i was really swayed by that last sequence and uh, uh, and I, i you know i always look look for a good background score because it's become more and more of a rarity bulbul was a very good example right. of how amit did the background score and and it's haunting it still you know plays in my head again and again and i love that because you know when you wake up in the morning you want a score playing in your head uh, that will score the rest of the your week and for me it's i'm never a lyrics person you know i've never heard the words of a song i've never been able to get into i'm a melody person so for me melody the at its rawest is a background score it's it's a instrumental track in a film it's not a song most of the time and uh, you know I, i you know i have a great fondness uh, for how background scores can be used by a narrative and it's always in context of a narrative that i recognize a background score i never listen to albums beforehand i only listen to songs if i like it during a film and how it works during a film uh, and this this has always been the case with background scores too i always try to uh, look for a background score after i watch a film right and i can see that you know like the as always going back to the october uh, you wrote about you know 
uh, we see uh, Dan, you know, as a as a disinterested, unfocused intern at Delhi's hotel, Radisson mm. Hotel, and the lifting yeah. lobby piano music like background score lends an autopilotness to sort of his existential mm. uncertainty, which I think was very interesting. How that uh, piano, you know, which is very true, which you already mentioned about Shudip Sarkar. And even yeah. most recently, like, uh, uh, I think I really love this line about the blue planet. Uh, mm. the planet, uh, there is this Hans Zimmer score where there is this one line you mentioned about the score is that um, uh, each note seems to be telling us you will see how beautiful we can be, which for all means and purpose is the sound of uh, discovery. It's the music of communicating the fleetingness mm. of a particular scene, one that is punctuated with an operatic feeling so that we don't forget it mm. after the empty tone of civilization resumes. I think this was just a beautiful line, uh, you mm. know, the way uh, it has been talking about score. And then finally I come to, you know, Dangal, where actually you spoke about how that Girish, uh, the coaches scene, how yeah. it's it's just so ominous and it just gives away everything, you know, like various versions of what right. I'm doing are played to relate to Gita while the accompanying background score stops short of an ominous 90s bad man theme, something like that. Yeah. So I think these are pretty nice examples of um, how a score, uh, you know, can, um, which I which you mentioned, like, you know, it can actually make uh, this film's understanding better or it just ruins the film for you. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, I, the background scores that try to tell you how to feel. Right. Uh, you know, I'm conflicted about that always. As you mentioned, the Dangal score, try to tell you how to read a particular scene or a character or not. I like background scores that are more sort of sprawling and generic. Like, of course, uh, Bhansali does it also really well. You know, even... Uh, because it's it's such an essential part of his filmmaking or his storytelling that you know he cannot afford to go wrong with the background with something like a background score and i can totally understand why he chooses to do the music of his own film because he has to be in control okay. of yeah. not just the how the films look but how the films sound and sound and looks for him are really interconnected as it should be connected in in most films with good background scores and and I feel like a, a director is the captain of a ship when it comes to the background scores he or she can decide how a film can sound and therefore decide how we feel about a certain film in the process you know they are not telling us to feel about characters but they are telling us to feel about the film and that I feel is a big difference that a lot of good background uh, scores get uh, you know as soon as you hear them right I think Black score is still one of my favorite. Like oh, what, Black what is amazing. Say, Black uh, is the back. It's entirely a background score film. Like that I, is, and it's such a beautiful thing, right? It's about a deaf and mute girl, and it's the sound of yeah. that film that really stands out. And I went to watch Black thrice in theaters, uh, twice with my father also because we were such big fans of the background score. We were such. Uh, uh, the, the, and I remember the name also. Monte Sharma composed yeah. the background score because I kept. Uh, I had bought the black album and I kept listening to uh, Aisha's theme again and again and again. And that that really opened my mind to how a background score can, uh, you know, affect your reading of a film. And I'm glad you mentioned that film because that is a great, great example. Right. Absolutely. And the thing is, uh, it's so like 
you hear two three notes you identify it's black <laughs> you know it's exactly. so it's so like a testament to like that identification of that film that how as soon as that piano or whatever that instrument you know comes i know this is black even lutera i felt like you know has yes. a, a great uh, background score uh, and i think talash also has some moments which they, those are not as memorable but you know they're very quiet very silent well, especially right. the ones between rosie and uh yeah, yeah. Surgeon, uh they were really nicely done <gasps> okay so there's uh, before yeah the background score just one last thing and about black again because uh, I, I one of my favorite um film moments in the last two decades uh is has to do explicitly with black's background score uh in a particular moment in that film if you remember it's a turning point of the film when uh the little girl aisha she uh learns when amita bachchan is basically trying to uh tell her. her that she's learned she, yeah teacher and she's learned to associate uh, you know uh, her words with uh, you know what she touches and it's in the garden in that shimla right. house and uh, the mother and you know amita bachchan is excited and she starts to uh, touch the grass and start to associate all the meanings with the uh, what she's touching and and then there's one particular moment when the mother uh, who's played by shanaz uh, patel who i still think it's one of the better performances i've seen uh, there's one particular scene when she absolutely breaks down her tear escapes her eye and that same theme that we've been hearing in black and we will be hearing in with you know with heavy instruments over the film it's just a violin it it sort of happens at the exact moment her tear escapes her eye uh, and that is catharsis for a mother for me in my head i was like you know i could feel the years and years of suffering she went through as a caregiver and how, how much this moment means to her just because of how bansali timed and synced the sound of a violin with the way uh, she cries and for me that really sort of you know uh, it, it really gave me such a new dimension of how uh, a bollywood film can be multilayered at the same time because till then it was really cheap thrills for me uh, I, and that particular scene is one of my favorite scenes of like of modern bollywood as far as i'm concerned right right absolutely uh, actually i would say like even i like the padmavat's uh, background theme as well i know oh, yes. they, yeah, they like although it happens in a slightly controversial scene but it's yeah, yeah, so yeah, memorable it's like you know it's so memorable that uh, rani sa that's entire yeah, song yeah. and with, the, again like mansali is yeah. very it's beautifully it's done okay. now let me come to you know music uh, i remember this article of yours which actually i shared with you as well on serat the symphony yeah. of cloud 9 where you spoken about you know how basically the music fits into the narrative of the story of archi and parsha i think it was mm. just very beautifully done i don't think i have seen another piece talking about just the music from you specifically like has there any mm. other film that you know touched the music uh, like this for you recently or any time uh, in the from the past i I Sairath is the only film that musically made so much sense to me that it actually made me try to get out of my comfort zone as a writer and write about music you know I'm un- underconfident about writing about explicitly about music I really admire uh, you know 
uh, writers who are able to write about albums and 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 review albums and write about them because i do i do not have the vocabulary music vocabulary to sort of get into how uh, you know uh, the technicalities of music and and to get into a lot of things that you know i because first of all i don't even listen to lyrics so mm-hmm. for me sehrat the reason i really just wanted to write about the music in that film is because the music itself is used as a narrative device and and for me uh, every song in that film represented different parts of a romantic relationship uh, and such few films do that right like such few films uh, of course a lot of films uh, use music to further the narrative but none use it as part of the narrative as texture of the narrative and i feel like sehrat uh, uh, did it and he does it you know continuously in a lot of his films you know he makes the language of filmmaking uh, uh, you know the commercial storytelling and uh, you know art storytelling sort of exist hand in hand in a lot of his films and he makes very big statements with his use of style and for me the songs in that film the album is phenomenal it's one of my favorite albums of the last decade and i think it's it's the same for a lot of people and it became a big cult sort of album over the years but uh, uh, just the way uh, it was used to uh, to to sort of uh, really uh, touch upon how love goes from adolescence and is forced to go into adulthood for me for, that was Uh, a classic use of how and i ended up writing about each song of course i wish i had yeah. done a better job technically but i ended up writing about each song because each song is a milestone in the narrative for them too and how they feel and uh, i felt like the hindi remake of it also had very good songs mm. and good music same composers of course but again that that sort of missed out on a lot of other things and i i felt like the entire cast narrative also came through through the way sairath used its music used its songs because you can sense that the two teenage protagonists in the beginning have watched a lot of bollywood movies have watched a lot of indian movies and that's why they think in a certain operatic way that is got through to how the songs sort of proceed from a certain way they sound to towards the end when it becomes a little more adult like so i just felt like that sairath piece was uh you know i was not confident enough to write it but i just thought i'd treat it as another film piece and i did reach out to a, a person who uh, wrote a lot about music that time and i asked him about certain phrases if they are correct or if they are because i knew for a fact that this is not a music review and a lot of music writers might not like uh, mm-hmm. how uh, you know how my phrasing of certain uh, technicalities may go but uh, at the same time i just let i i i just i don't think i've ever written about music again like that uh, in a particular film i don't think i've able uh, i've been given an opportunity also by a film to write about it so uh, yeah of course that piece you know i'm glad you sort of got it up because i very explicitly remember that piece and uh, I, every now and then i go back to read it to to see if i'm missing out on how music is uh, viewed in films after that because I've never re- really been able to write about uh, music the same way again after that. Right. No, that piece is great. As, as always, I'm not repeating, but I, I just love the ending that you put in, and you know, and then the last line says, "There's in a way truly a happy ending until it's not," which actually, you know, just makes so much sense how it's been written. So, mm-hmm. no, it's a great piece. Okay. I, I would like, you know, before we go further, uh, I read while. you know preparing some questions for this there is this piece uh, there is this interview by bignya dahal 
who mm. has spoken about uh, uh, yeah. he's a sound editor for this film uh, national award winning film asha jawar majir Uh, yes. so uh, there's an interview of him in this india independent mm. films website so if anybody is interested to just a little bit know more about sound design and you know how what they do it's a good interview to uh, read okay now you know we spoke about sound and we spoke about the film festival now i'll just come to there's some a new film that's coming up which is gehraina yeah. so i thought mm. we might just speak a little bit about shakun batra's films so mm. you know what we when you think of him shakun batra uh, what scene or what does come to your mind about him apart from the connection that there is rahul in both the films <laughs> yeah i mean uh, yeah there is rahul and i i have i suspect there might be another rahul in this uh, but uh, so shakun batra is uh, you know uh, first of all i think he's one of dharma's best directors like he's been he takes his time making his film and the best thing i like about him is he sticks to his strengths you know he's a very urban guy he's come yeah. from delhi lives in bombay has a very uh, is not sort of uh, is not uh, ashamed to admit that he views relationships and life a certain way like say zoe actor used to till gali boy came out and and you know he sticks to his strengths and his understanding i feel like he's a he's a director in the truest sense like his Uh, i feel like a lot of his writing is interpreted on screen uh, by him in a very of course he has a writing partner who he works very well with uh, but i feel like a lot of his films are uh, pure direction and pure rhythm you know like of course there is kapoor and sons and and especially the last 15 or 20 minutes which which for me is one of the most tense moments in hindi cinema like tense sequences in hindi cinema i uh, uh, the last time i felt like that was during viplash and that too that is a film entirely about music and about a toxic relationship uh, so that is such a different film and i felt the momentum rush uh, i felt that rush adrenaline rush in the last 15 minutes of kapoor and sons and it's just his way of sort of um, his reading of modern relationships and the way he sort of manages to edit them or sort of sequence them in a certain way that uh, that that is really second to none as far as uh, a, a lot of contemporary uh, stories are told about romance about relationships about complexities and uh, you know it's funny because you know uh, most directors if you meet them they don't seem like they make the films like they do but if you actually meet shakun uh, and a couple of times i met him uh, you actually uh, realize where his films come from you know you actually realize that you know uh, uh, this is a guy who has a very western reading of filmmaking uh he has a very sort of uh, his craft is very western in a sense uh he probably grew up on a lot of films that someone like me may have grown up on probably likes the same films like eternal sunshine and her and and la la land and a bunch of other very contemporary films that uh, most of this generation has grown up on and i feel like because he's this generation he's in his 30s just like us uh i feel like he is a very good window into how we view relationships how we view love how we view the complexities and flaws of uh, of indian relationships uh, in a certain milieu in a certain upper middle class or middle class milieu uh, and i feel he does he's a very visual director in that sense and uh, I, I, and i don't think a lot of his strength is in his writing it's more of course the screenplay comes across as very nuanced but it's entirely he, i feel like he's a director's director he doesn't depend so much on the words as much as his instincts and 
द वे ही क्राफ्ट इज फिल्म एंड एक में और एक टू वॉज अ शॉक टू माई सिस्टम बैक इन टू थाउजेंड इलेवन और ट्वेल्व एंड इट रिलीज बिकॉज I was not used to seeing rom-coms that do not have happy yeah. endings. Like even as you would admit, and I, I've read your piece also a couple of times, and it's just one of those. Uh, 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 of course, it released in theaters. It did not do well, uh, you know, and that's actually a sign of how uh, our audiences may not have been ready to accept a, a certain kind of uh, storytelling, a certain subversion of a romantic comedy. of of the way relationships uh, work and i feel like he's got more and more honest in his films after that like uh, the, even though that was entirely set abroad it was a little gimmick in in terms of in terms of its foreign exotic locations in, ter- in terms of the way la was shot which was very unusual for its time uh, i feel like kapoor and sons did such a fantastic job of depicting kunur or north india the way it did and and ditto for uh, the way uh i feel like gerai i have only seen the trailer but i just feel like it looks a certain way you know of course it's about it, it can be about many things on the surface it looks about it looks like about sort of adultery and a lot of complexities of uh, uh, human relationships but i just feel like it it already looks so distinct that you might remember this film uh, you know uh, irrespective of whether you like it or not in the future right right absolutely uh i i was curious because you know like uh firstly i don't like my piece now because i wrote it when i was kid ek mai ek to i all right i could write better now so when uh, i was just going through my own pieces as well i love that film i love that ending a lot uh it's just that uh as you said you know like now when i look back at that film it feels a little bit more you know like uh he was trying to be more western in his gaze i mean which is okay exactly. but yeah. i think in kapoor and son he did it like he set his story in that indian context which makes sense but like the ek marik to you know like that la wedding is such a western yeah. concept you know that okay you're getting drunk and you're getting married it's purely like you know how something like it happens in friends and hollywood so uh, it was really good but somehow now when i look back uh, i just feel like you know that film could have been a little better if it was in indian context but i still just love the ending and here's this thing yeah. you know, as you said of these little little moments he captures even if you see that gehraiya trailer uh, like the, there is this song uh, this new song i the dubey song mm. and other song yeah how deepika's hands he like the last scene of that uh, song her hand is going into that sand uh, like how she's grabbing that uh, sand in her hands so he has these small small things you know like which i really like how he tries to make his narrative with these light moments and as you rightly said you know it's more about how, it's not like the words it's how these moments yeah. he captures on screen which i uh, absolutely uh, like it and he's done it like do actor now i mean you know i love her uh, luck by chance and those films i think she also has become a little bit more um, her gaze is very western and yeah. she she's herself admitted like she thinks in english and then she converts hmm. those dialogues in english but exactly somehow, uh, i don't see that in shakun's kapoor and sons i think his first film feels like that but i just hope gehraiya feels uh, it feels very european but i just hope yeah. like you know it's true to this story of these four people so we'll see 
and yeah his sensitivities have gotten like as you as you also rightly mentioned you know they've gotten a little more refined with each right. film because it's been 10 years you know right. he's made only three films and uh, you you sense like as you said rightly about ek mein aur ek to it's a very very western gaze it's almost yeah. like he's trying to subvert only the dharma template nothing else you know because it is a certain nri gaze it is a certain uh, uh, and what he did with the ending is how i believe a lot of other dharma films should have ended like ye jawani hai diwani and wake up said yeah. that's exactly how they should have ended a uh, male protagonist like that does not actually end up with a woman like that towards the end of a film and and i feel like ek mai aur ek to took that risk and the other films were scared by the box office sort of non success of that film and therefore you know kept going with these very unlikely happily ever afters and i feel like uh, that european sort of sensibility is that he so well got across in kapoor and sans and now geraiya i feel all of his films have a sense of climate like they right. that you know ek mai aur ek to has a la warm sort of palette mm-hmm. uh, you know this has a hill station palette um, the film but again it's very colorful for a hill station if you look at it in that sense right, right. you think a geraiya palette that is very cold very almost nordic european palette mm-hmm. that is overcast at all times it would apply to something like kapoor and sanjan i feel like he's evolving in that sense as a visual filmmaker and i feel like if if it does elevate the story telling uh, in a certain way i feel like you know we'll be in for a very interesting film even if it doesn't work right <coughs> right uh and then you know like uh, my next something question is something uh, again related to uh the the thing which you already mentioned so you know you uh, had talked about like 25 best film scenes of the mm. decade and then i was uh, very not surprised but you know you mentioned that build up to an accident that the entire sequence you uh, wrote about yeah. you know which how it was the tension so uh, since we already spoke about it i was i'll just ask why did you not think about the plumber one plumber <laughs> no, one was uh, too easy too populist right. uh, of course you know see it was entirely about timing kapoor and sanjay so beautifully timed uh i don't think people realize how well that film is edited like it right. is just one of the best examples of uh of rhythm of life and the rhythm of sort of filmmaking going hand in hand and of course the plumber scene was the most popular scene and it was a beautiful deflation of a tense sequence but it is not something new in that sense it's not something original like uh, you you see scenes where there are punchline towards the end of a tense scene and that felt like a more templatey scene compared to this sequence not even a scene that made and broke the film like it was just it was some of and there is not one scene right towards the end it's it's actually a tying up right. of the entire film and to go from one life to another and do it so seamlessly i felt like it had to be mentioned as one of the foremost examples of filmmaking in hindi cinema in the last decade because i don't think uh, you know a lot of hindi filmmakers know how to tie up their films properly towards the end they tend to use music as too much of a crutch they tend to intercut too much between sequences but this was absolute perfection in terms of where each character's arc was where one son was where the other son was where both the parents was where you know both husband and wife were it is such a difficult thing to do and it cannot be written trust me this cannot be written it's entirely uh, a director and his editors sort of work uh, and the way he chooses he or she chooses to sort of cut the film and uh, make it represent a certain 
build up and accumulation and almost ex- silent explosion towards the end it's very difficult to do because the ending is a tragedy it's not a crowd pleasing ending right. and uh, and to come up with something like that and still not use a song not use too much music i think it's just one of the most suspenseful endings i've ever uh, thought uh, you know i've ever sort of gone through and that last again i'm going to mention that last sequence of whiplash that brings to mind the same emotions i felt while watching uh, kapoor and sons towards the end because how a film ends is so important in terms of it's a, if it's a relationship drama uh, and and kapoor and sons was so strong that i didn't find my uh, i didn't find in myself the courage to watch it for another 3 or 4 years and it was just and like only for this best scenes uh, piece that we did that is when i ended up watching the film again and i i it has aged very well in that sense i was just reading through like you know some of this his own interviews he actually mentioned like that uh, plumber scene was sort of inspired from that little miss sunshine uh, scene oh. uh, uh, where uh, steve carell's character he's more like an outsider Uh, and yeah. then sometimes it's an outsider you know like he doesn't he didn't want the scene to be as exposition but you know when they are in that chaos it just yeah. made more sense and so he like he was talking about that whole inside the mm. scene uh, thing on fc like this whole inspiration behind the scene but you know when i think of that film i always remember that uh, that because such a writers film as well you know it's about two writers which is so unlikely yeah. that the same family has two brothers who are writers and that yeah. line that siddharth uh, uh, malhotra says you know akhri baar likh raha hu ho sake to kahani yaad rakhna it's such a beautiful line i think that i just you know every writer would connect with it because i just fell in love with that uh, entire sequence like how they are in that you know a graveyard like they're having a date in a graveyard such a different Yeah. Uh, setting and then there's this writer she's talking about what will you write on your tombstone and so yeah i even i wouldn't have mentioned plumber scene so i was just curious i would have mentioned yeah. that one or uh, some other one like how uh, fawad khan says you know i'm tired of being just the perfect uh, oh, yeah. person so it's very such a very beautiful moment the only thing i didn't like in kapoor and sons i mean you would sort of conquer like the rishi kapoor makeup it just didn't <laughs> like it didn't need to be there i mean he, rishi kapoor was old enough right so yeah that's true it's a bit distracting i yeah i mean it's one of those gimmick gimmicky things that you know if you look back in hindsight of course prosthetics are the worst thing that can happen to any actor in any film especially an actor of his caliber uh but you know despite that i felt like he was so good in that film right. and it, it just touched on so many personal levels and you know i hear that obviously we read about it later that you know the director and rishi kapoor They had disagreement yeah. about the film and, and, but you know all i mean if it resulted in something like that then you know sure i mean you have to go through uh, unpleasant moments like that to get good results i think right right and uh, before we close my last question would be uh, any expectations from gehraiya <laughs> yes uh, great expectations from gehraiya because first of all you know week in and week out it's it gets a bit uh, tiring to keep hoping for a good film and not yeah. getting it on a larger level as a film critic but secondly uh, i just like from the director you're right because third film in 11 years he's like 
he's about as frequent as aditya chopra fall you know so mm-hmm. it's it's one of those things expectations will come and i'm very glad they re- uh, decided to release it uh, digitally because a film like this may not have done well on the big right. screen and films are judged according to the commercial credentials and i think they learned that from ek mai aur ek tu uh, to an extent and maybe kapoor and sons wasn't even publicized at all you know till critics started raving about the film so i feel like uh, it's a good decision because they have the best director representing them on a very good platform so hopefully mop will be accessible to so many more people across the world right it's global and it does have that very western as you mentioned that very western look about it so i feel like this might be more universal than its previous two films and uh, yes i'm very much looking forward to it and very much looking forward to writing about it because i don't get to write about relationships a lot hindi uh, cinema does not go deep into a lot of uh <coughs> sticky topics like this uh, of course karan johar did it 15 or 16 years ago but it wasn't one of his most comfortable films even if it was a brave film so i feel like this is one of those films that i will might enjoy writing about and a lot of film critics might enjoy maybe uh, writing about that said you know i don't want to uh, <laughs> have sky high expectations but i will not lie it is one of the films i've been looking forward to this year Uh, same likewise i am actually excited like okay there is something a relationship drama which is not a biopic or some event or something <laughs> at least there is some you know relationship drama where you can focus how characters behave i'm sure there'll be some like you know something uh, people will just hate why are they in adultery and the usual take hot takes will yeah, come yeah, but it will still be fun to read different things about uh, the film exactly yeah Okay Rahul I think uh, we, it was very nice talking to you again today so thank you for all your uh, insightful uh, points to especially the sound questions today at least I learned a lot so uh, and thank you to everybody who's listening um, uh, for listening today and I hope this was helpful and we'll try to think of more such topics in the future and we'll be back soon so uh, all right everyone uh, goodbye for now thanks Pankaj okay. thanks sir